Welcome back to the Snakes Cast. Uh, it's Friday, which means we're going to get deep about stuff. Uh, today, the stuff we're talking about is genres of games. Uh, we're probably going to be throwing out some words that you've never heard before, applying to games, like game styles that you may have actually played before. Technical terms, right? They're all weird. It's, they're weird if you haven't learned them before. As we're describing them, you might find things that are familiar to you. star of game that we're going to be talking about today and one that I like a lot is uh, social deduction games mm. uh, which is basically any game where you have to figure out something about the people at the table that isn't necessarily in front of you. Like a lot of people think that board games always involves like dice and cards and like physical elements but there's so many more games that don't and you have to read people and figure stuff out and social deduction is all about like staring people like right in the face <laughs> And trying to decide if they're shifty or not. And not knowing what, who's on your team and who is against you. Mm-hmm. And who's lying and who's telling the truth. So a lot of like bluffing games have an element of social deduction to them. Mm-hmm. Because like bluffing is a key element of it. And they kind of go hand in hand. For social deduction games, generally speaking, tend to be fairly short. And uh, they're often best for like six to eight players. Yeah, the more the merrier, for sure. Mm -hmm. Because the the politics get more convoluted as you try and figure out who's on your side and who Mm -hmm. isn't. And the more people you have, the more people are possibly on your side or not. So some of the most popular social deduction games out there would be The Resistance, Mm -hmm. Avalon, Mafia. I like Good Cop, Bad Cop. Oh, I love Good Cop, Bad Cop. So good. And uh, social deduction games tend to, because of the fact that they don't usually have a lot of rules, they also tend to be pretty appealing to new players. So that's that's one category of game that we get a lot of mileage out of for folks who are just arriving in the Mm -hmm. hobby from outside. Um, So another genre of game that is good for new players, especially players who like card games, is deck building games. And no, you're not going to be getting a big bunch of lumber and doing an add-on to your house with this. You're constructing a deck of cards. Um, A deck building game kind of works like this. Each player has their own personal little deck of cards and their own personal discard pile next to it. At the start of the game, your deck of cards is pretty thin and the cards in it are kind of crap. But in the middle of the table, there's all these better cards, which everybody can buy. So you use your not very good cards to buy these better cards. Whenever you buy new cards, they go to your personal discard pile. And pretty soon, your anemic little stack of cards is going to run out, which means to keep playing, you have to take your discard pile, shuffle it, and flip it over to make a new deck, which is larger and more powerful than your old deck. And you repeat this process a whole bunch of times. Each time you do it, your deck becomes larger and stronger because it includes more and more of these cool cards that you bought. And the challenge is to find combinations of cards that are going to have synergies between them. Uh, Deck building appeared as a genre in 2008, landing like a meteor, with a title called Dominion. And Dominion, to this day, is the most popular deck building game out there. I'm not a huge fan myself. I find it kind of dry. Yeah, but it is like the the deck builder. Is, so yeah, to speak. it's the like deck anybody, builder. Anybody that wants to get into deck building like absolutely should play Dominion. Sure. And I haven't played any of the like expansions but there are so many Dominion to expansions what, now, something, something like that something insane and like Dominion the base set contains how many different cards like 30 or so yeah so like, it contains like 30 different sets of cards and then there's Dominion Intrigue which contains another 30 and then all the expansions contain what like 15 or 20 yep. so you're down to like a, if you collect every single Dominion expansion you end up with a deck building game composed of like hundreds of decks you could possibly build from. And each time you play, you just pick 10. 
put them yeah. in the middle of the table, and there you go. You're ready to start. Which is insane. <laughs> so the many. The amount of customizability in that game is really, really off the hook. That's a thing. And that customizability is something, it's a, it's a strength that's shared by a lot of other deck building games, including some that have really started to bring more of a sense of narrative to the game. Like, uh, I'm a big fan of the one that's based on the Alien movies. Mm-hmm. We actually got to play that one together. That was a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, so there's, it's, um, it's legendary. It's like basically like a series yeah, of deck builders now. there's one based on Marvel. Yeah, the first, one, on that, Alien, the first one that Predator. came out was Marvel, yep. and then there's Alien, and then there's Predator, and then there's like Big Trouble Little China Firefly. and Firefly. So yeah, so they're like they're all they're all cooperative. Mm. And so they're like cooperative deck builders and unless they all come with these like <laughs> unless they're not, but they're mostly cooperative. And yeah. then they can be one versus many or someone can turn into an alien or someone can I don't know turn into a predator that's not how predators work um but no but you can no. be predators either yeah. tr- trying to kill arnold schwarzenegger and his buddies in the central american jungle or you can be arnold schwarzenegger and his buddies in the central american jungle trying to not die and it's great because these really sort of like brought new life into deck building because before that it really was stuff like dominion that was just like play a card take a card play a card take a card shuffle mm-hmm. the cards play cards and it was very very like mathematical said, very dry very mathematical very kind of like one step at a time but these ones they're great they have like scenarios they have you know things that are stressful like having a chest burster dealt into your deck and when it pops up again you die so it really has kind of like breathed new life into a style of game that a lot of people found very dry and speaking of styles of games that a lot of people found rather dry there's this thing called euro games big shocker coming out of europe um for the most part that like a lot of people find that the easiest explanation for an Euro game is it's kind of dry and there's a lot of moving parts. And it has a grumpy man on the cover. Yes. Oh, and the box art is almost always like terrible. Okay. I'm going to have to speak in defense of Euro games here. I'm like against Euro games. I haven't played many. I have nothing against them, but this is what everybody thinks a Euro game yeah, is. Yeah, the stereotype is, yes, it's a dry optimization exercise where you've sort of figured how to squeeze the maximum number of points out of this complex system this of engine. of imaginary gears and wheels the board made game of engine. rules yeah. and cards and tiles and, and meeples little and meeples on a board which has spaces that do different things. Like, uh, take worker placement games, for example. This is one really popular genre of Euro game. In a worker placement game, you've got a board, and on this board you've got a bunch of spaces which do different useful things. Don't ask why, trust me, they're just all useful for different reasons. On your turn, you're going to take one of your workers, which in one game it might be a spaceship, in another game it might be a UFO, in another game it might be a farmer. Lots of farmers in worker places. It could. It's, the, it's true. Farmers are a popular thing. They turn up a lot in Euro like games, Agricola. don't they? It's just, yeah, Agricola is the, like uh, sort of the poster child of, uh, of, for, for you for worker placement games. Anyway, you take your worker, you put it on a space, you do the useful thing. Next person on your left takes one of their workers, puts it on a space, does the useful thing. Lather, rinse, repeat, going around the table, placing one worker at a time until there's n- everybody, nobody has any workers left, and then they all go home. The thing is, though, you can't usually put a worker on a space that's already occupied. So it's this passive-aggressive thing where I can stop you from doing a thing by going and doing it first. I can't actually directly attack your stuff, but I can deny or create opportunities for you. And that's kind of one of the hallmarks of European-style game design. They, there's, there's, there's conflict, but it's indirect conflict. Uh, so less passive aggressive, more aggressive aggressive <laughs> is uh, area control games. The poster child of that really, I think like Risk would probably be like the, the area sure. control game that people think of. You're moving little armies around. And it's like basically like it's think Risk. You want to get the most little dudes on a space and take over the space from your friends, little dudes. And like oftentimes you get to like get little fights and you get to kill them and you get to like knock them over and it's really dramatic. Yeah, sometimes these are actually called dudes on a map games. 
And I realize that doesn't sound like a technical term, but dudes on a map is totally and like an industry. I can respect any term that clearly allows me to understand what it's about without asking any questions. But uh, area control can also be something that doesn't necessarily involve a map or even dudes. Mm -hmm. It can be uh, simply having the most investment in a particular stock over here or having the most um, political influence over in this area of um, it's, it's, it's actually kind of like an auction. You know, who's willing to put the most stuff in here? Mm-hmm. Um, Hoping to net the most reward because not necessarily all areas or all stocks or all parts of the map or all political influences will score the same way. Or be of the same interest to each player. Sometimes mm-hmm. one player might be more invested in this one particular thing, so they're going to fight harder to keep it than they would otherwise. And things can also go very wrong very fast if you throw all of your eggs in one basket or all of your dudes on one part of the map. Sometimes you get unlucky with your dice rolls and people just stomp on through. <laughs> I'm thinking of this game of Eclipse I played where I had Oops. giant, massive spaceships. I forget what they're called. Behemoths? Dreadnoughts. Dreadnoughts. And then one of my friends came out of this stupid little tiny thing and I just rolled like garbage. And he wiped out <laughs> all of my giant ships and I was left with nothing because I put all of my dudes on one part of the map. And you're not bitter at all. No. No. Not at all. Not the slightest. Uh, most likely, next time that happens, everybody's going to remember that. Oh, I remember. Thing. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I and, remember. And so there's there's this there's this other term which we should probably let people in on. It's called the meta game. This is the game outside of the game. This is the game of Eclipse that happened last week, which Emily still remembers. And uh, even we'll never forget. No, and it's not really necessarily because of anything you did this particular game, but the rules of this game are Emily's going to stomp you because you did that to her last time and she's not happy about it. Not happy. <laughs> uh, some And Secret Alliance Against Steve, we mentioned that earlier. That's absolutely part of the metagame in our part of the world. Yeah, metagame is basically anything that doesn't involve the actual bits of the game. It's like really aggressive grudge that you hold over <laughs> from that last game you played of that person where they absolutely destroyed you or, you know, when they broke your alliance or it's, you know, it's staring, you know, your friend in the face while there's a bead of sweat dripping down their forehead trying to figure out what is on the face of that card that's face down in front of them. Metagaming can also happen when you have couples playing. Because sometimes one member of a couple will be reluctant to be hostile towards their opposite number, their better half, because they don't want to sleep on the couch or they don't want to have to do the dishes for the rest of the month. I feel like I might be meaner mm. to my other, my better half when I play board games. That, see, that's, that, that's also metagaming. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of people who actually frown on this sort of thing. Um, and it's not too hard to understand why. If it actually interferes with the enjoyment mm-hmm. of the play, then it's something to be avoided. But on the other hand, for some people, it's all part of the fun. Metagame is also a term that's used in a game where you prepare ahead of time and you have to try and guess what your opponent's plans are going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in a game, if you're playing, we mentioned Magic the Gathering before. When you're going to build your, uh, your, your strategy before coming to the table with your dice or your cards or whatever it is you have, part of the metagame is knowing what are the popular strategies that are out there and preparing preparing yourself to be able to deal with those. And before we go, we mentioned European-style games. We'd probably be remiss if we didn't mention that that's, A, not exclusive to Europe. It's since, it started there, but it's since become sort of a, a genre of game that... Uh, Mostly is, Germany. Ger- exactly. Germany was sort of the epicenter <laughs> yeah. of it. Uh, designers like Rainer Knizia, Stefan Feld, and so on have sort of really been the... Uh, you know, the Uwe Rosenberg. While Europeans were creating these uh, very clean, uh, very elegant mathematical puzzles for you to solve, uh, for you to wrestle with. Uh, Americans were creating uh, these really intense 
intense, combative, thematic things with ninjas and dinosaurs and aliens and spaceships and dragons and all this other stuff that usually involved being awesome and blowing loud. away other people's stuff. And like, loud think and like violent. like a Hollywood movie yeah. versus like, you know, European art house film. Exactly. And that, that sort of applies there as well. Um, it, the term Ameritrash was adopted uh, defiantly by fans of this genre. Others prefer to refer to it as Amer- Amerithrash. I just use American-style game design. Um, and these typically are games that involve being awesome and being loud and being violent in a variety of different ways. They tend to have lots of little plastic figures. They have lots and lots of rules so that you can sort of really get immersed in that intense uh, experience. N- exactly. It's, it's all about the experience. It's all about the feeling of being there and the adrenaline rush of uh, of being involved in it. Tile placement games are another very nice self-descriptive title. <laughs> uh, during tile placement games, you spend most of your time placing tiles, uh, normally to build some sort of map or like contraption. Um, Carcassonne is the archetypal <laughs> game, really, where you're like, drawing tiles at random and then building them on this big communal map to build like a, a countryside region of France. With cities and roads and cloisters and stuff. And farms and stuff. <laughs> These days uh, other more involved games like Cacao and Isle of Sky are, uh, are more popular. But uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be this pastoral landscape type thing either. You could also have tiles with engines and lasers mm-hmm. and batteries and stuff and play Galaxy Trucker with those. Yeah, but what's great about tile placement games is that it can... One of the things that differs most from game to game is that sometimes you're building this big communal map where we've been talking all the time about being a jerk to your friends where you can like build this map because you're all in it kind of like together you're all begrudgingly placing your tiles in the same spots that you can kind of like you know I can cap off this road here and force my control yeah being a jerk you don't have to have have soldiers you can just put people where other people wanted their people to be and And now they're my people and now you get nothing and your roads get you no points <laughs> and your castles are going to get a weird shape you're never going to complete them um, or, or games like Isle of Sky where you're building your own personal little landscape and there are other ways for your friends to be a jerks, jerks to you but we'll be talking about that when we get into Isle of Sky in more detail and that's it for week one, series one, episode zero of the new Snakes Cast. We hope you enjoy the new format, and we look forward to hearing what you think of it. The Snakes Cast is produced by Dax Audio, and music is still provided by Ben Sound. Tune in next week when we talk to you about hidden trader games. The opinions expressed on the Snakes Cast are mine and Emily's, and that's it. That's it. That's it.